Hello and welcome to the Tebby podcast from The Evidence-Based Investor. I'm Robin Powell and this podcast is brought to you by Regis Media, a niche provider of educational and marketing content for financial advice and planning firms. Now, today we're discussing Kathy Wood, the celebrated Wall Street fund manager who, frankly, has very little to celebrate just at the moment. Her flagship ARK Innovation ETF ended 2021 in a 40% drawdown that only worsened to nearly 50% in the first few days of January. So is Kathy's ARK sinking? What, if anything, should ARK investors do now? Do ARK's current problems tell us anything about the current state of the global equity markets? And what are the lessons to learn from this whole episode? I've been speaking to Tebby contributor and investment author, Larry Swedro. So Larry, for those who don't know, who is Kathy Wood? And what sort of fund is it that she runs? Kathy Wood uh, became famous really in 2020 when her ARC Innovation Fund, her lead fund, put in a spectacular performance going up 157% that year. Uh, and that gave her a first percentile ranking in Morningstar, something she had actually achieved also in 2017 when the fund earned 87%. However, in three of the six years between the inception in 2014 and 2020, the fund didn't do very well. And one year was the 75th percentile, another 98th, meaning almost the worst. And then in 2019, it was 57th percentile. But that performance in 2020 gave it a great five-year track record and her disruptive technologies companies she thought would change the world, uh, their return was so spectacular that it gave her a first percentile ranking for the full five-year period. And that led to massive inflows of cash. The fund just three years earlier had only $200 million because it had not done well prior to 2017. And now it was sitting on $21.5 billion and then it increased even more because in the first six weeks of 2021, the fund again put in a strong performance uh, and the assets peaked at about $28 billion, uh, during 2021. So how famous did she become and what, what uh, sort of things were people in the U.S. saying about her? Yeah. So in uh, a column written uh, for Bloomberg, uh, Matt Winkler uh, said this. He said, Kathy Wood's magic touch is so powerful these days. She can trigger gains for fun she doesn't even run. And she has a massive following on Reddit, which, uh, you know, if you followed at all what happened uh, with GameStop and others, uh, kinds of these meme stocks, uh, they would have tremendous performance uh, when uh, somebody, you know, the Reddit crowd jumped in. Mm. Now, of course, as often happens with people who are um, thought to have a, a magic touch, um, the, the wheels came off pretty spectacularly in 
in 2021, didn't they? Tell, tell me about that. Yeah, the fund uh, lost 24% roughly for the year. But even worse than that uh, are two things. One, in mid-February, it was up quite a bit. So from its peak at that point until year end, it actually lost 37%. And then investors who are tend to be naive performance chasers rush in after spectacular returns, and then they leave after the bad returns happen. So Kathy Woods' his fund went from 28 billion, ended the year at about 16 billion. Uh, and so and the gains came when she had much smaller assets under management. The worst losses uh, came when the assets were the largest at 28 billion. And the fund has gotten off to a horrific start in the first trading days of this year down roughly 10% as we speak. Now, some people say, you know, the first few trading days of the year set the tone, if you like, for the 12 months ahead. Um, is that just an old wise tale, if you like, or or, um, or is there some truth in it? Well, it, I think it's somewhere in between. Uh, obviously, if stocks go up in the first month of the year, then the odds are better uh, that stocks will be up for the full year than if stocks went down. So you can misinterpret information uh, by just looking at how, say, the first month did. There is a tendency for that to be true, that if January is good or the first 10 days January good, then stocks tend to do better. But I wouldn't put any reliance on that. I think that's just a function of, you know, random outcomes that there's no causation there uh, at, at all. I was more thinking, Larry, of, of this this rotation, if you like, that we appear to be seeing at, at the moment um, away from um, the, these big uh, tech stocks. We've got obviously... Um, uh, last year we saw, you know, value re rebound and 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 so on. Um, what what, um, what 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 are we seeing here? I mean, I, I saw you post on Twitter the other day. You know, are we are we hearing the sound of of, of bubbles bursting? Tell tell me about that. Yeah. Well, I like to always say when I'm asked about a forecast, my crystal ball is always cloudy uh, because nobody can foretell what events will occur that drive markets. And it's really the unexpected events that cause most of the market's movements. And also investor sentiments can drive markets, at least in the short term, which can be longer than many people think. But I believe this, uh, and I've said this for a while, what we've experienced in the last two years or so, or from say 2018 through 2020, was virtually an exact repeat of what we saw from 98 through March of 2000, where you saw these hyper growth companies, these disruptive technologies using Kathy Woods' term, did not actually have much better performance in earnings, but their stocks outperformed simply because of investor sentiment, enthusiasm, call it a bubble, Prices went way up, their P.E. ratios jumped way up, and that totally drove 
the excess returns. And that's exactly what happened again this time around. Uh, value companies had no worse historical earnings growth than they did. And growth companies didn't have better historic growth in earnings, yet their stock prices exploded. And today we are at levels of the ratio of valuations that growth stocks are at least as expensive as they were relative to value stocks as they were mm. at the peak of the bubble in March 2000, which meant to me it was highly likely that we would see a rotation. And I think it was a bubble, is a bubble. And you're hearing that now, that sound of it correcting. And we always have good stories, Robin, that the markets tell to justify it. Uh, and if you like, we can tell the tale for your audience of Clayton Christensen. Yes. Well, I was going to ask you about Clayton Christensen because you actually mentioned him in an article that you wrote for uh, the blog, The Evidence-Based Investor, back in May of last year. Um, and, and he, in a sense, was the Kathy Woods of his era, wasn't he? Tell me about Clayton Christensen. Yeah, Clayton Christensen wrote a book in 97, The Innovator's Dilemma, the revolutionary book that will change the way you do business. And The Economist, one of the most prestigious uh, publications in the yeah. world, called it one of the six most important business books ever written. Uh, and they talk about, in the book, companies that would change the world through the disruptive technologies. And Clayton Christensen was hailed, uh, at, you know, as a management guru and a rising star of the new economy. Uh, he was the most innovative business thinker in the world today, according to Business Week in 2001. And so he formed, you know, just like Kathy, well, you know, why not take advantage of this and create a mutual fund? Uh, that invests in these disruptive technologies that will topple the market leaders. Well, even before the fund reached its first anniversary, it was liquidated, but not before it lost 64% of its value. The only thing it disrupted was the financial health of its investors. Mm. And of course, this is nothing new, is it, Larry? I mean, market history is is littered with examples of of, of disruptive technologies like um, uh, uh, trains, for example, uh, he, here in, in the UK in the 1890s, believe it or not, we had a bicycle bubble. Uh, then we had uh, the, um, the, the development of the, inter, uh, of the internal combustion engine and, and sort of cars and, and, and so on after the First World War. And, and we, all, we all know what happened, you know, in, in 1929. So, um, there are examples of what look like groundbreaking te technologies, and very often they do turn out to be groundbreaking, but it's not investors who benefit, it's consumers who who, who benefit. Um, is that, do you think, a, a lesson for investors to learn? Yeah, I think uh, a great example uh, is the internet, uh, and uh, wireless communication and, you know, telecommunications in general. Uh, you know, if you invested in the WorldComs in the late 90s, you ended up basically bankrupt 
and yet the world benefited greatly uh, as the costs of these products and computing and everything else has collapsed. Uh, and what people fail to recognize generally, it's often not the innovative, disruptive companies that benefit, but the downstream companies that deploy that technology eventually uh, in all kinds of products and running their businesses that also benefit and consumers benefit as well. So yes, sometimes the winners uh, evolve early, but then others come and disrupt them uh, and we move on. Uh, it's very difficult to outperform the market trying to guess which will be the ones that win. Sometimes it's the first players, sometimes it's people further down the road who end up uh, being the winners. But so, trying to identify and think you're smarter than the market, the evidence says very, very, very few people have been able to do that. Absolutely. So, so going back to Kathy Wood, in your books and, and your articles for, for Tebby and, and, and other uh, sites and so on, you're often talking about luck and skill and how hard it is to distinguish between luck and skill in a fund manager. What's your honest opinion about Kathy Wood? I mean, was she very skillful or has she demonstrated skill? Do we have enough data to show that she has demonstrated skill? Or, or if you like, did she just take advantage of a, of a bull run in, in technology? companies? Yeah, it's very hard to tell. So I'm not going to comment on whether Kathy Woods is a skillful manager or high, is she intelligent or not. But I think one could make the simple case, if she was so skillful, why did she have such horrible performance in the first two years of the fund and incredibly bad performance in the last 13 months or last 12 months or so? where she's down dramatically. Uh, she might have just been lucky in the right place in the right time, or we, we don't know. The mm. problem is this. When you have 10,000 money managers out there, and that's about how many mutual funds are out there, mm. randomly, we should expect to outperform over one year, 2,500 over two years, 1,250 mm. over three years, 625 mm. over four, and mm. 320 or so over five mm. years. Mm. And yet anyone who outperforms over a five-year period, right, mm. for five straight years, we claim them as geniuses. But randomly, we should expect 300 or mm. so to, to do that. Mm. And yet the evidence shows the top managers over prior decades often go on to be the worst managers. There was a fund from the 70s, which was the Peter Lynch era. Uh, he was considered the greatest manager of all time, rang up spectacular returns, but it wasn't the best performing fund. It was actually a fund, if my memory serves, called 44 Wall Street, uh, the best performing fund of that decade. The, now, if you invested the next 10 years with Peter Lynch, the 80s, you did great. If you bought 44 Wall Street, again, if my memory serves, 
A decade later, $1 invested became 27 cents, despite mm. the fact that the market went up like 18 or 19% a year. Mm. Well, how could you say a whole decade was just luck? Well, turned mm. out obviously it was. And you can repeat that exercise almost every decade, pick a manager who had great performance and then went on to blow up. Leg Masons, Bill Miller, another great example of a fund manager who beat the S&P, I think it was, I don't remember, 17 years in a row, and then blew up after that. Mm. Well, as you say, this is a, a story we've seen again and again. It's also, Larry, um, I, I know you're um, um, particularly um, uh, cognizant of the, the the U.S. perspective, but it, it happens, you know, in other countries too. I, I read, for example, about a, a manager in China who, who flopped spectacularly last year after, you know, several years of of, of stellar uh, returns. We've obviously. Uh, got Neil Woodford here in the UK. There's a guy called Hamish Douglas at a firm called Magellan in Australia, who, again, appears to have completely lost his way. So, again, re returning to, to Cathy Wood, we, we don't know whether it was luck, skill, or a combination of the two that enabled her to produce such a, a whopping return in, in, in 2020. Um, but whatever it was, Larry, um, has Kathy Wood lost it? <laughs> well, if you have skill, you can't. You don't lose that skill. You. It's not like an athlete uh, who gets older and loses their skill. This is intelligence, which should stay relatively stable. So my bet is, if I had to place a bet, Kathy Woods was just someone who got lucky in the right place at the right time. The media loves to anoint stars because uh, that gives them something to write about, even though the logic dictates it's probably noise and there is no real evidence of skill. Show me 20 years of outperformance on a statistically significant basis, and then I'm much more willing to say, yes, here's somebody who really was one of those rare few individuals who had the skill to beat the market. The Investors in general are far better off ignoring that and simply accepting market returns and for their asset classes or risk strategies that they want to seek. In other words, try to seek betas, not alphas. And you are, the, the evidence says the odds are great. You are likely to outperform the vast, vast, vast majority of professionals who are trying. The biggest lesson for investors is in my book, The Incredible Shrinking Alpha, where we show having skill is simply not a criteria that's needed to beat the market. It's not enough because the competition is incredibly skillful mm. and you have to be better than the, than the competition. And 90% of all trading today is done by the biggest institutions hedge funds, you know, the JP Morgans of the world and Goldman Sachs's, and they clearly are going to have more information, more data. They spend all their time than you do. And yet, so you're going to be exploited by them when you trade, but who are they exploiting? Goldman to win has to outperform Warren Buffett and mm -hmm. be smarter than him. You know, that makes it a very tough competition. So I'd urge people 
who think skill is enough to read my book, The Incredible Shrinking Alpha, to learn why that is not the case. So final question, Larry. No doubt you would say that people should avoid um, funds like uh, the, the ARC fund um, and, and managers like Kathy Wood who attract all this publicity, and, and particularly after stellar performance, because as you say, that, that's just when they're most likely to revert to the mean, if you like. But look, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Goodness me, I've made a few, including uh, in the investment arena. What should ARC investors do now? So, you know, um, maybe they got in poor things this time last year and they're feeling absolutely wretched about what's happened. What should they do? Yeah, well, first, we are human. We make mistakes. I wrote a book investment mistakes, even spot people make and how to avoid them. I know their mistakes because I made them and there are 77 in that book. And if I'd write it today, it'd probably be up to 90 because uh, we've learned there are other mistakes. But what investors should think about is this. Whatever has happened in the past is a sunk cost. It's irrelevant to your decision-making process. Uh, and in fact, if you're a taxable investors, Selling to take a loss can give you a benefit, at least in the U.S. Uncle Sam can share your pain. And so the question you want to ask is, if I did not invest in, with Kathy Woods in the first place, knowing what I know today, would I make that investment? And my answer clearly should be no. There's no logical reason to believe, in my mind, why Kathy Woods should outperform. And therefore, if you're... When you are owning it, if you continue to own it, you're literally making the decision to buy it every day because you could sell it. In other words, if you had the cash, would you go buy Kathy Wood's fund today? And if the answer is no, then you should sell it. That's a simple way to think about any investment, whether it's Kathy Wood's or any individual stock. about it for this episode you've been listening to me robin powell interviewing larry swedro on the tebby podcast which is produced and funded by regis media if you're a financial advisor and would like to know more about regis media just visit our website regismedia.com that's regismedia.com if you've enjoyed this podcast please subscribe to it on itunes or on soundcloud Better still, why not write a review? Thank you to Larry Swedro, and most of all, thanks to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.